you would pray with me and then we're going to look at that, uh, those verses together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this beautiful day that you have created. We thank you for the opportunity to meet together as your people in this place. We thank you for your word and the way that you teach us and instruct us, that you remind us of who you are and the ways that you love us. Uh, we pray this morning as we think about the gift of children and what it looks like to raise them to, to know and to love you. Just give us wisdom to, to understand, to apply this to our lives. We pray that uh, your spirit would move in this place. We can't do any of this without you. And so we uh, ask that you would take the eternal truths of your word and apply them to our hearts and our minds this morning as we look at them together. And most of all, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in everything that is done and said here this morning. Uh, we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you've been with us, you know that we've been in Ephesians now since uh, the beginning of the year. So if we're getting close. I think we've got about three, maybe four weeks left and we'll finish up the book of Ephesians. And so since we've been in this series all year, uh, I started planning for this at the end of last year. So like seven, eight months ago, planning out all the weeks in Ephesians. Uh, realized this week God has a sense of humor. Um, he reminded me of that this week. I had planned all of this out to preach this week on Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 about children. Uh, what I didn't know when I planned all that is that I would take a trip this week to Texas, uh, with just me and my three boys. And so as I was reading this and thinking about this and, and how to not provoke your children to anger, I was in the car for 24 hours with my three sons, right? And so I was, uh, very aware all week and even coming up to this of, how inadequate I am to stand here and preach on this. That I don't know what I'm doing in a lot of ways. And it was made very clear as I spent that time in these things and you're wrestling with what does it look like to be a good parent and to love your children. And I'm not real great at it. But that is God's grace that he shows us our inadequacies and how we need him and how he's teaching us in that. And so I would just say as we begin, I need this sermon as much as anyone. Um, God was teaching me through all of this this week and wanting to be a better parent and honor him in that. And so he teaches us a lot. He tells us a lot about what that looks like, of, of how to care for our children, how to bring them up. There's a lot in these four verses that he's going to say to us. Um, and so as we look at this, though, I look around the room and I know we have a lot of people that have uh, young children, you're right in the middle of that, or, or some that are about to have children in all different phases. Some of you have uh, children that are grown and now out of the house, or now grandchildren and great-grandchildren and everything in between. And some of you, this will be vitally relevant, that you'll be like, yes, I need to hear this as I'm thinking about how to love and care and bring up my children. Some of you might go, yeah, okay, I've done that, I've been there, I'm kind of past that, or whatever it may be. And I just would encourage you that everything we're going to look at here that God says to us about bringing up our children uh, is very applicable to just discipleship in general. And so what we say each week is that the mission that God has given us as a church is to make disciples who make disciples. And so our mission as a church family together is to be doing that. And so even though you may not have children right in front of you in your home at this at this moment, or maybe you're a different season, this is still applicable in a lot of ways of what God says here. And so let's think about this together. Uh, one thing I would say, just as we think about discipleship and parenting, uh, parents, you have the opportunity to disciple your children. It's built into the fact that they're with you. Whether you 
are thinking in terms of I'm discipling my children or not, you are. By what they see and the way they observe and watch you in your relationships, you are teaching your children. And so if you go, well, I'm not really doing that. I don't really think about that. You are, whether you think about it or not. And so we have this great God-given opportunity to disciple our children. And so as we look at these verses this morning, this is what I want us to think about. Uh, first, what is he telling us? What are we called to do? Big picture. Secondly, how are we to do it? And then thirdly, we're going to consider the key that kind of unlocks it or makes it even possible that we can do it. So what's he calling us to do? How do we do it? And then the key that kind of opens all of it. So let's just look big picture. If you would look at that, those few verses again with me, let's look at verses one through three. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so what Paul's doing there is he's quoting from the Ten Commandments, right? That's a direct quote. You'll even see it in quotations in your Bible. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it'll even tell you where you can find it in Exodus chapter 20. But it's the fifth commandment that God gives to honor your father and and mother and he's giving us this and i want us to put this in big picture kind of the framework of all of the bible and what he's talking about when we look at this uh this idea that god has placed you in this position of authority with your children and this goes with everything that god's done with us and the way he's created us if we look at the big picture of the very beginning god creates people and we are made in his image after his likeness and we are made to have dominion over the earth as people, we're the only thing that God creates that's in his image, that an image bears. And then he puts us kind of over his creation. He says to, to take care of it, to fill the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to, to care for the earth as he's put us in it. And so this uh, role that he gives us as parents to care for our children, to show them this authority goes right in line with what he's doing for us as people. And in fact, it makes sense. It's, it's very practically helpful when you stop and think about it. We are created and designed to live under God's authority, to walk closely with him, to love him, uh, to, to make him the center of our lives. And then we're to love people. And so when God gives us uh, this command to be fruitful and multiply the earth, and as we live and as we do that and as we have children, we then have the role that God has given us to help bring our children up to submit to God's authority in their life. And he's placed us over them in that way. And it's very practical if you think about it. Right? You, you have a small child that you bring into the world and there they are a day old and they don't know anything about anything. And you, God has taught you and you've learned and you've grown and now you have an opportunity to pass down what God has showed you to the next generation. It's very practical when we stop and think about it in those terms. And so we're there to help uh, our children see this authority that's over them, but also to help protect them and bring them up to know the Lord and what that looks like. The Bible talks a lot about that in different places, about the way we're to bring our children up. Deuteronomy 6 immediately comes to mind that we're to teach them in everything we do. And so there's a very uh, practical sense of bringing up children and caring for them and protecting them and helping them to grow up. Right. Whether you're a Christian or not, or you believe the Bible or not, you see that you have children and they need your help. But I think what God is doing in placing us uh, as parents and the authority over our children to do that mirrors what God is doing for us when he gives us his law. 
Right now, this is one of the law, the Ten Commandments to uh, honor your father and mother. But in giving us the Ten Commandments, we see parallels in what God's doing in us loving and having authority over our children. And so I want you to think about that for just a second and what that looks like. And so when we stop and think about why did God give us the law? And so when I talk about the law, I'm talking about in the Old Testament. We go back to the beginning of the Bible and men and women have been created and we're made in God's image and we sin and we fall out of relationship with God because we rebel. We decide to make the world about ourselves. But then God lovingly, graciously gives us um, some commandments, the Ten Commandments. And he gives us some moral laws and he gives us some things to help us understand the way the world is created and the way it works. And the way that he's made it to be and how we should respond to him and to one another. And so when we look at what God is doing in that, first we would say that God gives us the law uh, for our protection or, or to constrain evil, to help us not go off the guardrails and cause all sorts of problems. And so because he loves us, he gives us those boundaries. Right? And we say that's one of the, the first reasons God gives us the law. He says, I am God. I am the creator. I have made all things. I know how it works. And so I'm going to tell you how it works. And it works best if you would trust me and do these things. And so he gives us the Ten Commandments and he gives us some other things. But in doing so, the law is for our good. It's teaching us how to live in his world. And in fact, I've mentioned this before and I've said this at different times. But if you ever stop and think about what would our world look like if we actually kept the Ten Commandments? It's an interesting thought experiment to do because what you would see real quickly is it'd be way better off than it is right now. So many problems and issues would go away if we would just trust God and what he's told us. Right? And so he gives us the, his law to help constrain evil, to protect us, to show us uh, how we should operate in this world. And the same is true when we talk about having authority over your children. God puts you in authority over your children in this way. To, to bring them up, to love them and care for them. And he says, children, obey your parents because your parents are there to help you to understand the world around you in the way that God's made it. When children are born and as they're coming up and they're young people, and, and I say this in the best possible way, so please hear it that way, they're ignorant. And, and, I mean, and that's not a joke. I just mean they're, they're literally, by the definition of the word, they're ignorant to the world around them. And they not only are ignorant of the world, they suffer from a lack of wisdom and of spiritual understanding. They don't see things in the way that God's created them. Part of that is because they're sinful, like all of us. That's not a put down of children. We're all sinful, broken people. But in our ignorance and our lack of spiritual understanding and wisdom, those things get amplified. And so God places us in authority over our children to help constrain evil, to show them what the world is like, to help bring them up and teach them in that. I was reading this book this week and I happened to this. It wasn't a book on parenting, but there was a chapter on parenting. It was written by a clinical psychologist and he was writing about just the importance of authority. And he wasn't necessarily writing from a Christian perspective. And so here I am reading this chapter this week as I'm spending time on this. And he gets into this idea of how important setting boundaries and authority are for your children. And as I was reading it, he made this statement. He said, children can be damaged as much or more by a lack of incisive attention as they are by abuse, whether mental or physical. You hear what he's saying? Children can struggle in the world and have more or as many or more problems 
by you not putting any authority or instruction in their life as they can if you physically or mentally abuse them. And he went on to explain why. And he said the reason that that is the case is when they don't have authority in their life, there's all sorts of things that happen as a result. Uh, For example, they end up chronically being ignored by their peers because they're no fun to be around. You think about that. If your children have never been uh, taught authority and how to respond and how to play with others and how to get along with them, then kids aren't going to want to play with them. And then that has a snowball effect. And then when that is the case, then it ends up being leading to less friends and less socialization and more isolation and all sorts of things down the line. And he made the point in this. He said, if we think by being kind to our kids, I don't want to correct them because I want to be their friend. I don't want them to be upset with me. I'm not going to say that. I'll just let that slide. And we continue to do that. He said, if you do not establish that authority in their lives, it will be worse later on because the world will will get them later on, basically is what he was saying. They will feel it more forcefully later on as the world comes against them and seeks to correct those things. And so the kid has not learned to share, gets around a bunch of other kids and they don't want to have anything to do with them. Right. They then feel it worse. And so you, you think by allowing your kids not to have that instruction and authority in your life that that you're being kind or you're being better, you're actually making it worse. And so when I read that and I thought about what he was saying, and here's a guy that was writing from uh, 30 years of, of experience as a psychologist. And then I read, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you in a long life. That it's exactly what we see. And so just as the law is given to us by God to help uh, for our protection, to help constrain evil, to help us not go off the guardrails, so too parents have been given that role in their children's life to help them to see those things. But it's not just that. And he talked about that a lot in the book, but what I would say is there's more to it than that. And so God gives us the law, not just for that reason, but he also gives us the law to show us how poorly we do it. It's to show us that we haven't kept it. God gives us the Ten Commandments to protect us, but then also to alert us to the fact that we haven't kept them. And so when you're correcting your children and you're showing them what's happening is it's bringing up the fact that they don't know all the answers. That they don't have it all together. And I'm not saying you're doing that to to ugly kind of stand over them and go look at how wrong you are. But it does alert you to the fact that you don't have it all together. And just as God gives us the Ten Commandments to show us that we haven't done it. To alert us to that fact that we're sinful, broken people too in our children's lives as we correct them and show them they're going to start to see that they don't have all the answers. And so when we we begin to speak the truth and love and correct our children and put the authority in place that God has told us to do. We're doing that. uh, We're mirroring what God is doing to us in his law. He's teaching us. And so as we bring them up and what scriptures say and what the world is like and the way it works, they're going to come across those things. And what's going to happen is it's going to show that we haven't done it. Here's the hard part. That's the opposite of the way a lot of people think today. There's a strong movement of of affirming your kids in everything. You're perfect just the way you are. 
It's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that we're broken, sinful people desperately in need of a savior. And so there's times when we have to come to that realization with our children. You're revealing the heart issues that are there. But that leads us to the third part of why God gives us the law. It's to constrain evil. It's to show us that we haven't done it. But ultimately, it's to show us that we have a great need for a savior. That we desperately need one to come who has kept the law, who has done it perfectly. And that's what God's doing as he gives the law in the Old Testament. It's never about here's my law. Here's the way you live. And if you can do this well enough, I will accept you. It is to constrain evil. It is to show you how the world works, but then it's to show you that you haven't done it and you desperately need God to do for you what you could never do for yourself. That's the heart of the gospel. That Jesus has come to do for us what we've never done for ourselves. And if the goal as parents is disciple our children, if we do not set up those boundaries, if we don't put that authority in place, if we're not willing to point those things out, we'll never get to the importance of why we need a savior. And so if we want to disciple our children in the way that God has called us to, we're called to do these things, to establish that authority. Now, if you sit here and you go, well, I don't have children or that's not me right now. All of these things are true in terms of just discipling one another in our relationships together. All through Ephesians, Paul's been saying that we have to speak the truth to one another, that we grow up into the fullness of what God's created us to be. I said that a few weeks ago. You need someone in your life that will tell you you have a booger on your face. Right. You need people that will speak the truth to you and go, that's not good. Because that's part of how we grow. And so the same with our children, a loving correction is there to show them that they don't have it all together and they desperately need Jesus. So that's the big picture of the what. But what does he say here about how we do that? Because he actually tells us some very practical things in verse four about how we do it. Look at what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke your children to anger. Let's think about the ways in which uh, to think about that, how that works. Why would he say that? Don't provoke your children to anger. And I think there's a couple ways to think about it. But the first way I would say is that's being proactive and not just reactive with your children. Being proactive and not just reactive. If I don't establish authority with my kids and I'm not teaching them what God says and what I expect and what it looks like to live in this world and what it is to be kind to other people and tell the truth and speak those things. But then I constantly come down hard on them when they don't do those things. Right. I just react to the things they don't do well, but I'm not proactive in showing and teaching and modeling what it looks like. What happens? You get angry, you get frustrated like, how am I supposed to know this? Right? You, you're not doing this. <laughs> and you continue to hit them with what's wrong. I was thinking about how we, we get like that, right? If, if there's an expectation and I don't know, it's being proactive in teaching and modeling and showing them. That doesn't mean there's not correction. We'll get to that in just a second. There is correction in that. But being proactive as we teach them. Being proactive in teaching them things and showing them things before they do it wrong instead of just reacting to when they do it wrong. And I think that's part of it, being proactive versus being reactive. 
But I'll also say that it's partly um, not being a hypocrite. When he talks about fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I, I think there's very little that's more, not more frustrating than somebody saying, yeah, you do that, but I'm not going to do that. Do as I say, not as I do. Right? We can kind of joke about that, but children see that. And you're discipling more with your actions than your words. And if you're constantly doing that, it, it, they're fighting against each other. And so it's being proactive and not reactive, but it's also uh, having a life of integrity that they see. And so I struggle with this and it's frustrating at different times. In my house, three little boys, there's lots of yelling all the time. Sometimes it's yelling because they're fighting, but sometimes it's yelling just because they're excited and they just yell a lot. Right. And so our house is loud and there's lots of yelling. And Joanna and I probably daily So you have to learn to control your voice, lower your voice inside. We're not yelling inside. Yes, okay. And then they run upstairs and they start yelling. Or you'll say, would you go get your brother for me? They're standing right next to you. Jed! I'm like, no, no, no. I asked you to go get your brother. Not that I could scream. We're not yelling, right? And so we do this all the time. But then what happens is they start yelling and they stop yelling. I find myself going, stop yelling! And they look at me and they go, but dad, you're yelling. You're right. And in my mind, I'm going, I'm yelling because you're yelling. But they're right. It shows exactly. Instead of lowering my voice and going to them and instructing them in that, I can get frustrated and yell. And that hypocrisy that they see, they see me doing it. It's not lost on them. And that's not a good thing when I'm doing that. It's not helpful. And so if we don't want to provoke our children to anger, it's having a consistency in the way we do it. And so I was reading this week in Paul Tripp's parenting book. And so uh, next month we're going to do a parenting seminar here on a Saturday. And Paul Tripp's going to be the speaker. We're going to do it through satellite thing. Link. Paul Tripp's awesome. His parenting book is great. I would fully recommend it to you. But he says this. He says, children enter the world resistant to authority. They don't tend to see that real life is found inside of a life, inside a life of willing submission to authority. If you exercise authority in a lazy, abusive, selfish way, you will deepen it. You will deepen and strengthen the natural rebellion to authority in the hearts of your children. God has called you. What God has called you to is to daily confront your children with how beautiful, helpful, and patient God's authority is. Whoa, yeah. And so when I'm reactive and I'm frustrated and I yell at them instead of stopping and addressing the issue, it's, it's deepening their frustration with us. Why are you yelling at me? And so it's difficult because it, it brings to... Uh, light my own heart in this. Which again, is God's grace that he's showing you that you desperately need him in your life. It's not easy to do. And so it's not uh, provoking your children to anger, being proactive, not reactive, but also having a life of integrity, not being a hypocrite in the way we do that. 
But then look at the next thing he says. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so there's a couple ways I want us to think about that. Discipline being proactive in the sense of teaching them what God says. Discipline and instruction of the Lord, teaching them what God's word says, speaking the truth to them, helping them along the way, doing all those things as we go, as we're teaching and wanting them to understand what God's word says. But when we start to think about the way that God has given the law, we're doing that. We're teaching them the law and the way God's given us the law. This is the way the world works best. This is what the Bible says. This is who God is. This is what it looks like. But if we just do that, if we just have a lot of rules in place and a lot of things that this is what the Bible says and this is what you do and this is the way you go at it, we can quickly get off from what God's calling us to do. Remember, I think this mirrors the way God's given us the law in a lot of ways. So he gives us the law to protect us and show us how the world works, but also to show us how we haven't done it, but then to show us that we have a great need for a savior. And so discipline and instruction of the Lord is going to be all those pieces together. And so, yes, it's going to be correcting and, and teaching and walking with them, but it's not just an outward compliance, right? We could read discipline I think I have a whole lot of rules and I have a whole lot of consequences for when we break those rules. And so don't do this. And if you do this, then this is the consequence. And I think you can do that and you can actually make your kids obey you to some degree, depending on how strict you are in enforcing those things. But that doesn't mean that it's going to change their heart. It it can quickly become an issue if that's all it is. Because he says here to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not just morality lessons of of this is what we do. This is what a good Christian does. And if you don't do that, then there's this consequence. And if that's all it is, we've missed it. Which it's why here uh, in the church with our children's ministry, we do the gospel project. If you're not familiar with the gospel project, it's teaching all the stories throughout the Bible. But then the end of every lesson is pointing you to how Jesus has done this perfectly. It's not a morality lesson. It's not the kids come in and you teach them, this is what it says, now go do this the best you can. And that's what a good Christian looks like. It's to show you that this is what God has called us to and we've not done it. And that's why we desperately need Jesus. And so when we talk about discipline and instruction of the Lord, it needs to be those things together. And so, yes, there will be rules. Yes, there will be instruction. Yes, there'll be consequences. That's establishing those boundaries and the authority in your child's life, which is important. But then it also has to be the heart issue of pointing to how it points us to our need for Jesus. And if it's not that, we're missing the key of the gospel. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that's harder when they're really little. You're going to sit them down in this whole sermon about the atonement and how it comes back to Jesus. And they're looking at you like, right? But it is teaching God's grace in that. It is walking with them through those different things. And so obedience is important, but we want to get to the heart issue as well. And so one of the things we say in our house a lot, and you've heard me say it here a lot, all sin is against God. 
I want my children to understand that. It's not an arbitrary rule that I have or their mother has, but that it's God has put in place for their best because he loves them. And I want it to be rooted and grounded in that way. Life is lived best under his care. And in teaching them that God loves them. And so uh, I'll give you an example. We do this very imperfectly at my house. And so I'm very hesitant to use an example of how poorly I do this. But we're trying our best on those things. And so if my son is disrespectful to his mother. When I say go to your room and I'll come talk to you in a minute. Part of the reason I do that is so I'm not reactive. They do things that make me angry and I'm frustrated. And so I say, go sit in your room and I'll be there in a minute. Because I know if I don't, I'm quicker to, you know, stop yelling. <laughs> but if I say, go, go sit there for a minute and I'll be there in a minute. And then when we begin to talk about being obedient or, or respectful to his mother. I would come back to this, that it says, honor your father and mother. God says this. And when you're not doing this, you're not respecting your mother. But more importantly, you're ignoring what God has told you to do. And so it roots and grounds it in our understanding of who God is and the way that we are made to relate to him. It's not about me. It's not about my feelings getting hurt, but it's because of who God is. And so we talk about that. That it's to respond to who God is and, and to love him in this way. And so when you're not doing it, uh, you're, you're in sin or rebellion against God. But then the first two verses that we uh, had our, our boys memorize. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I try to end all those times with my boys with what does 1 John 1, 9 say? And they go, if we confess our sins, I say yes. And that is good news that God loves us and he's done what we could never do for us in Jesus. And so I want to correct those things. That doesn't mean because we do that and we end with the grace of Jesus and that, that there's not consequences. There are consequences. Right? That's establishing the authority and the discipline in their life. But the instruction in the Lord of coming back to who we are in Jesus and what he's done for us and how we desperately need him. And it needs to be that fully formed picture, which is exactly what God was doing with us in giving us the law. So I was greatly blessed to see this in my house growing up. My dad had a redwood paddle. That he carved, right? And maybe you agree or disagree with paddling or spanking, but I got a lot of spankings when I was a little boy. But every time he would bring me in and he would talk to me about it and he would tell me why and then he'd give me a spanking and then he would hug me and then he would tell me how much he loved me and how much God loved me and he would lay all of that out every time and do it consistently. And not only would he do that, just... would say 90% of the time he gave me a spanking, he cried. It was through tears of this hurts me more than it hurts you and I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it because I love you. And he modeled that all the way through. And he continued to show that and point me to the grace of how I needed God. And so I think that's what we're talking about here, bringing up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To show us our need for Jesus. Now, what about how uh, the key of to do that? Right. That's the, the what and the how, but the key to be able to do that. 
And the only way that we can teach and extend grace like that to our children and point to that is having received the grace yourself. The humility of knowing how much you need Jesus in your own life is going to bubble out in the way that you present it to your children. And so the truth is you're just like your children. I'm just like my children. For God's grace in that every day I see them do things. I'm like, why are they doing it? And I'm like, oh, that's exactly like me. I do that. I do that all the time. They have an authority problem. Well, so do I. They need insight, giving, instruction. Well, me too. They need patience. Yeah, I do. They need grace. Me too. In fact, I need it every day and everything all the time. And so when we start to recognize that God calls us as rebels to his authority to then be the ones that extend authority to others. To rescue other rebels from authority and only powerful grace can make that happen. And so we have that opportunity to do that. To point them to the need of Jesus. One of the greatest things in my life is being a parent. The greatest things that God has showed me. This is about this sum it all up. That's all I got. <laughs> the only advice I can give for my own parenting. Is it a great relief when I learned that I could say to my kids I'm wrong. That I could model for them what repentance looks like. So when I yell, stop yelling. And I say, dad, you're yelling. And you go, you're right, and I'm sorry. And I desperately need Jesus every day. That's all I got. That's all I know. And it's been a great encouragement in the sense of, man, do I blow it regularly. But I have an opportunity to model for them how desperately I need Jesus. To model repentance when I blow it. And I'm good at blowing it. And so I can turn and then show them how desperately I need Jesus in my life. And I think that's the key to all of this. The more that you know the grace of God in your own life, the more that you can extend it to others. And so in all of this, and I'll just end here, the same is true in our relationships together, whether it's with our children or with one another and seeking to disciple each other. We desperately need Jesus and we need to be reminding one another of that. And so when we seek to correct each other, speak truth to one another, it's always coupled with that, and I desperately need Jesus just like you do. And in that, God is glorified because we've magnified Jesus in everything. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you for the role uh, of being parents. Uh, we thank you for the gift of children. I thank you for each one of the children uh, in this body of believers. We thank you that they are a good gift. We thank you for the ways that you teach us through our children. We thank you for the things that we, we see them reminding us of. We pray that we would take seriously our, our role in that, of encouraging our children, establishing that authority, but pointing them to their great need for you. I thank you for those that have gone before us here in our body that have raised children, have done it well, and now can help uh, this younger generation to do so. And so we thank you for your wisdom in that. We pray that we would seek to honor you in everything that we do and say. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.